My scripture this morning is taken from the book of Romans. I needed a little bit of break from the Gospel of Matthew, even though I'm going to mention him at least twice. Romans chapter 10, verses 5 through 15. Moses writes concerning the righteousness that comes from the law, that the person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that comes from faith says, Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down. Or, who will descend into the abyss? That is, to try to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. And your lips and in your heart. That is, the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For one believes with the heart and so is justified, and one confesses with the mouth and so is saved. The scripture says, no one who believes in him will be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all and is generous to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how are they to call on one in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in one of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone to proclaim it? And how are they to proclaim him unless they are sent As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. May God bless the reading of God's holy scripture. Amen. Paul doesn't hesitate with life. There's no need to shuttle to heaven or to chisel down to the place of the dead. Paul says, in order to get right with God, simply trust alone in Jesus Christ. In the church in the first century, this is a hard thing for them to understand because we're trying to figure out, well, what does baptism mean and, and how do we work through this? But here you can start to hear start of a, a Christian baptismal formula, starting with the phrase, Jesus is Lord and the invitation to all of God's people. But notice the questions that Paul strings along as a response To the marvelous good news about Christ. He says, how can anyone call on Jesus if they don't believe? And how can anyone believe if they've never heard? Or what about, can anyone hear unless someone goes and tells them the good news? So we arrive at the most magnificent missionary pieces in the New Testament. A statement to carry the good news to other places and contexts. If last week's sermon was talking about my vision as a church in in order to feed people is also to feed people. Paul's mission statement to the church is about saying, how do we carry the good news to other places and contexts? And I start off with the image of baby feet. Doing it slowly, one step at a time. Hoping that we know that we're going to trip and fall. And knowing full well that somebody will pick us up and carry us as we need. 
But really, the part that Paul is focusing in on here is not the physical act of walking. It's what we say that matters to him. Words. Whether we ponder them in our heart or speak them for others to hear, maybe we publish them online or in text to friends or scribble them into uh, a shopping list or we, we might buy or adorn them with beautiful Hobby Lobby pictures and with artistic flair. But most of us operate with the currency of words. We trade them back and forth in new and old ways. Like I did in this paragraph, borrowing frequently without second thought. I mean, even if you're careful at citing a source like I'm doing here, when was the last time you required a footnote for, say, just the word pencil? Or for you guys that text all the time, the acronym for OMG, which for me just means, oh my goat. In the days before online presence and the access, and it was so pervasive, I remember when I graduated from high school, what we would give people as graduation gifts were dictionaries. And we would put a note in there in the dictionary that would say something like this. Everything you'll need to write in college is contained in this book. <laughs> The word is near you and on your lips and in your heart, Paul says. And he is even quoting Deuteronomy. Actually, for the, the reality of this, he quotes the, the majority of a section of the Torah because those are the words that he's heard and he was brought up to understand. Words have such powerful meaning. When you think of the gospel song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, it suggests the same thing. And maybe in those unguarded moments, we might even slip into one of those off-the-wall songs that we see on PowerPoint that remind us of how much we matter to God. Or for those of us that watch TikTok or Snapchat that see something beautiful that connects us to God in, in 30 seconds or less. It's one thing to sing words about value to God, but another quite to act as if they were true. As we think about the lesson in Romans, let me ask you one question that is really hard for us to answer. And frankly, it makes us extremely uncomfortable. How passionately do you believe that people matter to God? How passionately do you believe that people matter to God? For some of you, this is a real thing. We know that God watches you. God pays attention. But God listens. God is there for us. And, and sometimes we tend to think that what we do doesn't matter. And God keeps not track. I, I, I don't necessarily like that theological understanding. I think God doesn't keep an account. I think God looks at us in the same way that maybe we look at our children or we look at our students or maybe the way that we look at our nieces and nephews in, in, in such a way we watch them grow up. It's not like we keep a catalog list of everything that they did wrong, right? We remember the highlights and some of those are bad. Some of those are great. 
In his book, Building a Contagious Church, Mark Middleberg suggests a simple test to determine how, we, how deeply we own this simple truth. He says, when we really, really believe deep down that people matter to God, all of a sudden it dramatically affects our checkbooks and our calendars. Now, I don't necessarily agree with his checkbook theory, but I do agree with the understanding of the calendars. So now I'm going to get on a soapbox for just a second. Any of you that have kids and sports and stuff like that, I, I don't want you to think that I'm speaking ill of sports or any of that that goes with it. Okay? But if you look at our calendars, you can see what has priority. There was a time that in our world that wasn't that far behind that we did not schedule things on Sundays or Wednesday nights. No, nobody argued with it. The schools, the teachers, the, the athletic leagues, it didn't matter if you were on a traveling team or anything. They did not schedule things on Sunday. Why? Because that was holy. And it didn't matter if you went to church because for some reason we as a culture believed that that day was sacred. It meant it was what? Family day. And we all got together and ate meals or we did stuff together. It was something that we did. But then over time, that has been taken over. And the part that frustrates me on behalf of parents that have kids in sports is, is that they schedule them on days that no one has anything going on which happens to be Sundays. And you want your kids to participate, and I want your kids to have that opportunity. And you, I know, because I've heard it from coaches that said, I'm sorry, if you don't come to this game or you don't come to this practice because you went to church, you're not going to get to play at the next game. And you're going to get punished for that. And the church, I'm sorry, folks, we've stayed quiet. I can yell and scream about this. I have been yelling and screaming about this for 20 years. And at the same time, the world decided to go ahead and suck up Sundays for us. So what does my job have to do then? What is our job? How do we pass those words on to those that the calendars are sucked up by the world? Then we provide other opportunities for them. So they might not be able to be with us on Sunday, but they're with us one way or the other. If you look at just our online attendance, if you added, if you, any of you have the opportunity to read the newsletter this last week, uh, we had 90 people watch our, our worship services online. If you took both services combined, we have almost as many people watching our worship service online as we have in the pews on Sunday morning. And my favorite part is, is our babies, our kids, they're going back and they're watching the worship services on their phones. They're watching the sermons. Now, they don't necessarily watch it on Sunday morning, but they might do it Monday night or they might do it on Tuesday. And it's weird to me because I have youth group kids coming up to me and say, hey, Josh, when you were talking about this in the worship service, what did this mean? So in some way or another, that's working. So words matter. How we put together, how our calendars work together matters. Now, it's old words for new settings, as I'm talking about here. 
But Paul, I got to go back to this message because it's kind of awesome how he does this. As he works out the implications of that conviction, Paul does what all of us do and me included. He searches for scriptures and the right words and applies them to his own time and place. So what does he do? He uses Torah. I mean, he's a Pharisee of all, uh, you know, for, for his actual occupation. So he knows Torah backwards and forwards. And he starts off his opening line by using Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 12 through 14. And he takes a passage that was originally about the law and applies it to his own proclamation. Half of the six verses in, the, uh, in, this, in this Hebrew Bible scripture, uh, 12 through 14 and, and on, are mentioned. He also mentions Isaiah 28, verse 16, and Joel, of all places. So whether his, in his own words or in words that he has borrowed, Paul affirms promise upon promise that the word is near you. You will be saved. No one who believes in him will be put to shame. The, great, the Greek word that he uses there is karashuno, which means to be disappointed. And he says, hope does not disappoint us. There is no distinction, according to Paul. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Every one. Verbal threads that we connect come from our mouth and our heart. He uses these words like stoma, mouth, or cardia, heart. And in this place, he uses the heart and the mouth together and considers the words that people speak or do not conform to their innermost thoughts and beliefs. Paul expects that the good news, the word of faith which we preach, actually gets inside of people. And as I'm getting closer to an end, I want you to understand what he means by this. When we're talking about words of our faith, he says that when you speak it out, people kind of, Sit on it. It's, it's like you have a really good meal and you have this and, and you're like, oh, my goodness, it was so great. You know that really full feeling you have because you ate too much and, and you're sitting there and after a while you just you start to feel good and, and satiated. It's like, oh, wow, it was amazing. He's saying that the words that come from our mouth are that way and that we digest them in such a way that we feel the presence of God later on. You guys know what I'm talking about. You've, you've heard a good sermon from someone or you've heard a good inspirational message and it's stuck in your brain for a while. And then later on, all of a sudden it makes sense. And you're like, oh, oh, that is so awesome. That's what Paul is talking about, that the words have the power of doing. But it's a power that changes hearts and lives. The heart for Paul is, is the seed of physical and intellectual and spiritual life. It includes our emotions, our desires. While the mouth gives expression or denies what's in the heart. And this is where I have to quote Matthew. Jesus himself understands this. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one that does the will of my father in heaven. Even Jesus' own words do that. There's a difference between belief and trust, though. 
Paul uses the word pistuo, which is a part of the word pistis, which means, pistuo means belief, pistis means faith. For a lot of people, and I know this, we put belief and faith together, and we say that it suggests this, and we say it's a, it's a blind faith. I understand that God's going to do all these things because I believe so. And what happens when it doesn't? In our culture, we start to not trust God. In the post-pandemic world that we live in, trusting people is something that is of a commodity. The world has given us too many reasons to not trust everyone. I mean, we need to call it as it is. We, we don't trust the political systems. We, we don't trust everyone that we come in contact. We don't trust... Uh, and the list just goes on and on and on. And in this case, Paul's assertion is, is that once you have the good news, it actually changes you people so that instead of believing in it, you trust in God, which is something that humans can't do. To trust in God means that I don't worry about the things I don't have control over. I let God take care of those things. It's like I, I, I trust that the sun will come up tomorrow. But it might look like to actually trust that God raised Jesus from the dead. And not simply just to believe it. Or to trust in God and not only to believe about God. As we know from Paul's other letters, the relationship between Jews and Gentiles in the church was not always an easy one. Given the differences in the culture, the value, the belief systems, nonetheless, Paul insists that the word of the gospel brings both groups into the family of God. Jews by the virtue of the chesed and Gentiles by the virtue of Christ and all by the virtue of God's promises. Because why? I always tell you this. God doesn't break promises. Ever. Few congregations today face the precise questions that challenge Paul's churches. Even so, there remain significant issues that divide believers from one another. And Paul's words may speak the gospel to these situations as he says, The same Lord is Lord of all and is generous to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So from where you sit, what does it look like to trust that word? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.